It was a Thursday afternoon uh, in March earlier this year, and all these reports were coming out, these weird reports. Everybody in the world seemed to be canceling everything. I was like, what's going on? Why is everything getting canceled? I think it was earlier that day they had made the decision, or at least announced the decision, to cancel the NCAA tournament. And we knew that it was big news at that point. Like, what? No March Madness? What is going on? And I was on the phone with the elders from our church, and we were discussing should we cancel our Sunday morning services for this coming week? And, and we were finding that until we found out more, we should. So we made that decision. Now, we've been down this road before. I mean, we've had snow days. We've had hurricane days. During Hurricane Florence, I think we were out for like three weeks or something while, we, while the, the movie theater had some damage. And I'm thinking, this won't be too bad. It'll be a nice little break. What, two, three weeks max? Boy, was I wrong. We were all wrong. We had no idea. The word unprecedented has been used so many times that we don't even know what it means anymore. And so, listen, today, right now, is, if I'm doing my math correctly, is our 24th week of doing church online. I want to clarify, we are not a church that had any online services before COVID-19. This is a long time. And I don't have to recap the last five months for you. You were there. You saw the whole thing. It's been crazy. Oh my, what, six months? I, I don't know. I can't do math. It, it's been crazy. And we have turned uh, into a punchline how bad 2020 has been. I mean, crazy things, things that we wouldn't, wouldn't expect. And it just can't, it hasn't been all bad. It really, it really hasn't been all bad. I mean, we went to outer space that one time. Remember that? That was cool. Went to outer space. We got toilet paper back. That was a big week. Love toilet paper. Been using it my whole life. Plan on using it for the rest of my, you know, that's good things. We, the, the NFL is gonna have a season this year. I gotta tell you, I'm super pumped about that. Uh, we're not so sure about college football. We'll see where that ends up. Um, but in, in all seriousness, uh, most of us took a desperately needed break. Like we had to slow down because everything's closed. And, and we needed that. And there was more family time and we learned to reconnect and do some things like that. Uh, let's be honest, we have no idea what the full effects of this shutdown will be, like in the long term. And so it's easy for us though, to feel, I don't know, trapped in the circumstances and be like, what, what do I even, even do? And I think we all know that in order to get out of that mindset, it takes a deliberate shift in our brain. In fact, several months ago during this shutdown, we did a series called A New Mentality. We studied through the book of Colossians for that very reason, to explore the idea of what it means to have God shift our thinking about things. So this morning, we're taking a little break, a little pause. Uh, we've been in a teaching through the series uh, about the book of Acts, and we're gonna pick that up next week, right where we left off. It's gonna be great. Uh, but actually, there's some lessons I think we can learn from the book of Acts that really are relevant to today, and especially since uh, a lot of our church community is meeting at the YMCA in person today for church outside, uh, I think that it's really cool uh, to talk about this there in person as well. I'll be teaching the same lesson there as well. Um, but it's important for us to regroup as a church and decide what does it look like for us to do what God has called us to do even during COVID-19 shutdowns. My wife and I have two kids. Uh, most of you know Silas and Savannah. Silas started ninth grade this year. If you haven't seen Silas since before the, the shutdown stuff, you might not recognize him now. He has just shot up. Uh, he's almost six feet tall now. He reminds me of that almost every single day, multiple times a day, sometimes. I uh, routinely, I borrow his shoes 
because he and I wear the same size shoes. So he's grown up a lot. My daughter just turned 11 just a couple of weeks ago. And so I'm watching her just blossom into a young woman right in front of my very eyes. It's, it's crazy as a parent watching our kids grow up. And I can tell you as a parent, there have been a number of times I've needed to grab each of my children by their shoulders and look them in the eye and help them to refocus on something that they forgot or missed. Or did. So, I mean, it's like, sometimes it's like in discipline and I'm you know, grabbing them by the shoulders and trying not to shake their little heads off their little necks, you know? He's like, hey, and if you don't, you know, and you gotta get their attention, you gotta refocus them. Other time, especially when they were younger, I remember, oh, the nightmares, man. Middle of the night, kid wake up crying and you go in there and you're like, what is wrong? And you gotta physically shake them. Like, look at me, look at me, everything, what? No, there are not lobsters crawling on the ceiling. There's not, there was this weird season where we had this theme in the kids' nightmares of like nautical creatures crawling on walls. It was, it was weird. And you have to tell them like, that's not real. This is real, listen to me. And you have to speak truth into them, wake them up and remind them. Uh, and in other more like intimate moments, I can think of times with my kids where I had to grab them by the shoulders or more like embrace them as they were going through a fear or, or an anxiety or an uncertainty about something and just remind them we can make it through this, you're gonna be okay. And now as a parent, I think one of my goals and purposes is to always, when they're going through a hard time and a dark time, is to point them back to God in all of these moments. It is hard for us when we're in the middle of a dark time and a hard time to know what God wants and to even think about God. We get so tunnel vision about it. Uh, and it reminds me of the poem, the prayer that King David wrote in Psalm chapter 23. Maybe you've seen it. Maybe you've seen it cross-stitched at your grandma's house. Uh, but Psalm 23, very famous Psalm. And he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack for nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures and he restores my soul. He leads me beside quiet waters. He guides me along the paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you're with me and your rod and your staff, they comfort me, they guide me. Like there's this picture of a shepherd guiding his sheep through a scary place. COVID-19 seems like in many ways, and the world we live in at large, seems like this long valley of the shadow of death. Uncertainty, unprecedented. Many of you have lost work. Um, you've had to cancel important moments in your life. You've had to reschedule things or you've lost time with family members or, or people that you wanted to see. Last week, maybe your kids started school and they are looking at this ominous tunnel of Zoom calls for the rest of the semester and what does that look like? Or maybe you started homeschool for the very first time this week and you're like, I never signed up for this. I thought that's why I paid taxes. <laughs> and here you are, congratulations, you're a teacher of the year and the custodian. Welcome to my world, we homeschool our kids too. Many of you have had to do other things. You've had to lead through these hard times. Maybe you're the boss at your work and you've had to lay people off or you've had to make tough financial decisions or maybe uh, you're the decision maker for an organization. And so you've had to decide like, do we cancel this? Do we postpone it? Do we do it online? Do we do a drive-by thing? Maybe your job places you in a danger zone. So you're at risk for contracting this virus. And so you and your family are constantly uh, in risk of, of getting COVID-19 and you don't know what that means for you. And so I get it, believe me, I get it. I, everything that I just mentioned are actually things from my own life that I experienced as well. And I understand how uncertain it can be. But what I wanna do is I wanna take some time today to grab us, to grab us church family collectively by the shoulders and look into our eyes and speak truth to us. Not my truth, 
uh, my truth is incomplete and broken and, and I try my best to seek God for truth, but not my truth, the truth of God. Because I think we need to hear it. And I think we need to be refocused on what's most important so we can live out the calling that God has placed on each of our lives and for the life of our church family. And so I've got three points uh, today that I hope will help us do something. I hope that it will help us not to allow COVID-19 to be an excuse for skipping out on what God wants us to do, but instead will be an encouragement for us to get started on what God wants us to do. So three points, and, and I want to write them on your hearts today. I want you to maybe actually pull out some real paper. Remember paper? Write it down, write it in the margin of your Bible, type it into your notes app on your phone, because I think these three things can guide you and your family and our church family through the weeks and months ahead. And so to guide us this morning, I'm gonna borrow a scripture from the book of Acts, chapter one. We've been studying the book of Acts, and this scripture keeps jumping out at me as something that's saying even more than it says. Uh, And so let's read it in context first. It's Acts chapter one. Uh, We studied this about six weeks ago. This is Jesus. He tells his disciples, Acts chapter one, verse seven. He says, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, in the direct context of this passage, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's giving giving them this commission to go into the world and to spread the news of of his coming and his death, burial and resurrection and the, the life that people can have in Jesus. But I think that it also, and it has been for many years, used as a metaphor to overlay over our lives and to learn something from. And Jesus's, you know, statement, he's basically laying a bullseye over a map. Bullseye, picture the target logo. You know, you've got concentric circles, a little dot in the middle and then some circles that grow out. And at the center of that bullseye is the city of Jerusalem. This is the center of the bullseye. The next big circle outside is Judea. This is the region that Jerusalem was in. Beyond that was a place called Samaria. And then beyond that was the ends of the earth. It's the rest of the world. It's a picture of God's message of hope just rippling out into the world. And that's what the disciples did. They very effectively began in Jerusalem. Uh, It was the location of the temple and the source of uh, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit coming out, Jesus telling them to go there and wait. Remember that from week one of Acts and rippling out from there. It's been the message of the, the message and the mission of the church since day one to spread to evangelize the world. And so using that map, specifically that target idea as a guide for us today, I wanna suggest these three points as maybe our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Uh, and here they are, I wanna give them to you right out, right out of the gate so that you can write them down and follow along. The, the, the three are this, number one, seek God's face. Number two, engage with God's community. Number three, shine light in dark places. All right, so it's not an exact replica of a map. We're not using actual geographic regions, but I think it'd be an excellent guide to help us reach the same goal that we seek God's face, that we uh, engage with God's community and that we shine light in dark places. So, So let's talk about what that means. Okay, first, seeking God's face. Every single week at the end of our church service, what do we say? Shine light in dark places. We say that, but what does it mean? I think that you are incapable of shining God's light unless you have placed yourself first in his presence. So it's important for us to seek God's 
face. Uh, did you ever um, have one of those uh, toys as a kid that they're like a light green color and if you set them in the light long enough, they would charge up and then if you put them in the dark, they would glow? You know what I mean? Like if you have not held a little toy like that in your hands like this and look through the hole and see if you can see that little green, have, have you really lived? Come on, like that's fun. And, and so that's, that's the big deal. And we learn over time that, okay, when this thing has been charged up in the light, it will glow. And if it has not been charged up, it will not glow. And the longer it's away from the light, it will fade. It's fun. It's cool. Maybe you've seen the, uh, the stickers you put on your ceiling and it's like stars. And so you can lay down. You're like, there's the Big Dipper till I fall asleep. And when I wake up in the morning, it's gone again. And so I think this overlays a really cool idea we see in the Bible. In, in, uh, in the story of Moses, Moses is a leader in the early uh, nation of Israel and Moses is the one who goes up on the mountain to receive the 10 commandments. He's in the presence of God. He also has other opportunities to be in the presence of God as God holds counsel with him as how to lead the nation of Israel. And, and the story says that as Moses came away from the presence of God, his face would literally physically be glowing. It would radiate light. And so Moses, uh, as a result, would cover his face with this veil, presumably for two big reasons. Uh, the one maybe would be like, my face is so bright, I don't want to shine it in your eyes, and so I'll wear a veil. But we learn also that he would wear it because the longer he spent away from the presence of God, the more that light would fade. And Moses didn't like people knowing that the light of God had faded from his face. If you want to read that story, it's in Exodus chapter 34. Uh, the apostle Paul talks about it more in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. So go check that out. Really, a really amazing story about what happens when this guy is in the presence of God. But I think that there's a very real truth in the fact that when we spend time with God, it changes us. It changes us. And that the longer we're away from our time with God, that change can begin to diminish and fade. And when we seek his face, we can really begin to reflect his light in our life. It's obvious other people can see it. There's been a lot of controversy uh, and, and, uh, and discussion over whether or not churches should meet together on Sunday morning. Uh, and I, I'm right in the middle of that conversation and a lot of you have talked to about it and, and we're gonna be back together soon. But the real question is, are we seeking God's face? Not are we setting up a time to hang out for an hour or two on Sunday morning, but are we truly seeking God's face? And nothing, not even a Sunday morning service, can substitute me and you on our own time seeking the face of God. Placing ourselves in his presence and trying to find his glory in our life all the time. And I'm talking about spiritual disciplines here. Read spiritual disciplines. That when I say seeking God's face, I'm talking about being spiritually disciplined. We're talking about reading our Bibles. We're talking about praying and, and fasting and, and being generous in faith. We're talking about studying God's word with other people and meditating on God's word and listening for his voice in our life. And these things are, are ethereal and difficult to comprehend at first, but the more we do them, the more we understand them and the more that God's spirit interacts with our soul, the more we are capable of seeking God's face and seeing that change in our life. If Jerusalem was the starting point for the gospel message and it began to ripple out from there, I believe the starting point for our church living out the message of Jesus in this city, this region, this nation, this world, our starting point needs to be personal spiritual disciplines. Personal spiritual disciplines. Seeking the face of God intentionally. Scheduling time in our life for that. 
Now, as a leader, I try to be transparent, and I, I need to confess to you guys. Uh, over the last several weeks, I, I personally have struggled with my personal spiritual disciplines. I've struggled with seeking the face of God. Uh, it's a combination of things. It's the fatigue of shutdown and trying to figure out what to do as a church and other things. I mean, it's, it's all of that. And I got to tell you, I felt like I was killing it the first three or four months of shutdown. Like I was walking every day, listening to scripture and I had these different Bible studies. I was doing all these different things, but then I hit a wall and something happened. And I started to recognize that probably, I don't know, two weeks ago. I was like, man, I'm just not feeling this, feeling right, feeling whatever. So then I began to adjust my habits again. I began to seek the face of God more often. And guess what? Guys, it has made a difference. As I have sought the face of God, I've felt the glow of his glory restore to my life more and more. And I'm seeing uh, the difference that it makes seeking the face of God. We've got to seek his face right now. And we've got to stop making excuses. And we've got to start making plans. That's the theme of everything I want us to learn today. Stop making excuses, start making plans. Uh, and so let me make some recommendations for you. A couple of technological things. I highly recommend the YouVersion Bible app. Uh, it's a great app. It's, it's a Bible app, dozens of translations of the Bible and, and, and versions. You only need one, uh, but lots of them. In addition to that, there's all kinds of uh, devotional things that you can read on there. There's devotions you can sign up for that are five days long, five weeks long. You can actually uh, become friends. It's like a social network and you can... Um, do studies with other people and hold each other accountable. You can do prayer requests on there. It's a really cool app. Check it out. version Bible app. Download it if you haven't already. Most of you probably already use it. Uh, that's a great thing. We also have a cool, cool resource. Uh, we've got this thing called uh, Right Now Media. Right Now Media is like a, a Netflix for Christian video resources is what people have called it. So imagine a, a, an entire database of Christian video resources, Bible studies and teachings, sermons, stuff for kids, stuff for your marriage, stuff for parenting, stuff for leadership. It's, it's a beautiful thing. And our church has an account that you can get for free. And if you don't go to our church, but you're watching this, you can still get on there. No problem. Go to our website, go to our resources link and click on right now media. It'll show you how to start an account. And it's just like using Netflix. You can watch it on a device, on your TV. It's great. It's the way that you can see God's face with some instruction. Uh, another one that I want to add, I've talked about these guys a lot. The Bible Project is an organization. Thebibleproject.com is the website. Uh, they've, they've, they've got videos they put out on teaching. They've got a podcast that's great. There's so many ways that we can learn and grow and seek God's face. But check this out. You do not have to have technology to seek the face of God. One of the greatest ways to seek the face of God is to turn all that off and to go outside and to observe nature. We live at the Atlantic Ocean. Don't take your, your sandcastle stuff. Just take a notebook or don't take anything. Just take a chair, take a towel and just meditate on the goodness of God and his power and his goodness. We have got to seek his face. We've got to seek his face. That's the center of our target today. Seek God's face. We move out to the next uh, part of our concentric circle. Uh, and I'm just gonna tell you, I've already told you, it is engage with God's community. Engage with God's community. In the book of Hebrews, one of my favorite books in the Bible, by the way, in the book of Hebrews chapter 10, in verses 24 and 25, we get some great uh, instruction on this engaging in God's community thing. I'm actually gonna back up two verses to verse 22 because it really ties in perfectly with the idea of seeking God's face. So let's read this. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 22. First, he says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that brings faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our body Bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. That's seeking God's face. It's beautiful. But then we get to our next point in verse 24. 
and let us consider how we might spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. It's about engaging God's community. And yes, doing that on Sunday morning in person is certainly a way to do that. But here's the thing, when this was written, this is before church buildings and like paid church staffs who schedule programming and calendars so that everyone could be reminded like, by the way, the church is having community today, you should come. This is just an encouragement for every single person to do it on their own time, to always place themselves in Christian community. I'm a big fan of the fact that we have some organization to it. I've said that I don't, I don't, I'm not a big fan of churches being all about programming because I don't think that's what our purpose is as a church. But in as much as that programming helps us have community and seek God's face, I'm all for it. Seeking God's community. Uh, we're currently choosing to go by the recommendations of medical professionals who are leaders at our church. What it comes right down to is we assembled a group of people and we felt that right now we wanted to continue doing things the way that we're doing it. Um, also with the government's guidance and things like that. But our primary thing is like, let's just be wise and be safe because you know what? This is temporary. This is not gonna last forever. We can be patient. But that doesn't exclude us from the... the requirement for Christian believers to be in community and to engage in that community. Here's my question. Are you engaging in God's community? Are you engaging? I'm not asking if you're attending church events. That is not what I'm asking. God is not standing at the gate of heaven, giving out perfect attendance stars, you know, like it's, it's like it's elementary school. That's not what God is doing with us. I'm asking, are you engaging Odds are good that if you were not engaging now, you might not have been engaging when we were meeting in person. And possibly that if we began meeting in person today, which we are at the YMCA right now, but if we continued weekly, that you might not continue to engage. I'm talking about building relationships, accountability, trust, opening up, and allowing as we seek the face of God, growing together. Uh, it says here in verse 24, I just read it. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Um, there are a few ways that we could talk about this. I want to boil this all down, this second ring of our circle. I want to boil it down to one word, discipleship. Discipleship is the one word. Discipleship is about being in a relationship with another human who will help you follow Jesus better. That's essentially what discipleship is. And uh, this is an important companion to our first point, which was seeking God's face. Because yes, we should seek God's face on our own, but you were never meant to do that all by yourself forever. No, we're supposed to be doing that in community. We're always supposed to be growing together in community because other people help us follow God better. So are you in a discipling relationship? Might be a better way of asking the question, are you engaging in God's community? Are you in a discipling relationship with someone else? An intentionally scheduled relationship. I'm not talking about accidental or incidental discipleship. Well, I went to church today, or man, I met a guy, he said something that really changed me. Those are great things. God can use those moments, but I'm talking about intentional relationships. Maybe someone who is helping to guide your spiritual walk, someone who can hold you accountable, someone who can help you seek the face of God and call you out when you're not. And this can look like someone who's much farther along in the spiritual journey than you are. They're a mentor to you, or it can look like you're farther along than they are and you're a mentor to them. 
I have found in the dozens of discipling relationships I've been a part of that it almost always, I can't think of a time when it didn't go both ways. That I always learn something from a person I'm in a discipleship relationship, whether I feel as if maybe I'm farther along in my journey or they're farther along in their journey. Discipling goes both ways. Today at the YMCA, uh, if you were there with us right now, after the teaching and the service, we're gonna take a few minutes to have a family meeting. And we've been talking about that since last week. And the, the goal of that meeting is to simply come together and ask a couple of simple questions that will probe and ask the questions like, how can we engage in God's community better? What does it look like for us to disciple one another to be discipled? Do we need to start some small groups in this season or, or more micro groups as a way that we do that or video lessons and Bible studies and things like that? What does that look like? And so uh, you might have time to actually make it out there by the time this is over and then you could go to the meeting. But if not, I'm gonna share some of those things in the coming weeks through email and online. Um, this is something that honestly, as a church, we've needed to regroup on for a while. We have needed to revisit what it looks like for us to disciple people. And uh, I wanna bring up, bring everybody into that conversation because we're all responsible for it. We really are and we've got to t do a better job. Um, I wanna step aside here from talking to everyone and specifically talk to you if you're a parent. Parents, do you know that one of your greatest gifts uh, and responsibilities is that we are supposed to disciple our kids? That's our job. Biblical youth ministry is parenting. And so, it's up to us to, as much as we have experienced the kingdom of God, to show that to our kids as well. You don't have to be a Bible scholar or whatever, just whatever you know. And here's the thing, if our, if our kids see us engaging in God's community, they will follow suit most times. That's how parenting works. And, and, and if they see that we do not prioritize it and we'll let anything else get in the way of it all the time, they won't prioritize it either. They're gonna learn from our example. So parents, we have this huge opportunity to pour into our kids and disciple them. Let's not, let's not slough it off on anybody else. It's gotta be done by you because you're the ones who love them more than anybody else. And so uh, I just wanna say that as a parent myself, I need to hear that all the time. And I, I, want, I wanna encourage you as well. And if you're already doing that, great job. Keep it up, keep it up because your kids, your kids will be better for it. That's the second ring of our circle. So we've got uh, engage, uh, seeking God's face, seeking God's face and engaging in God's community. The third end of our ring really, when it comes to this map that Jesus laid out, this is the one that actually sort of works out as a map, okay? And so for Jesus, he said over this map, he said that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Samaria and the ends of the earth were people who had not yet heard the message of Jesus. And for us, that's where... It's almost literal that there are people in this city who do not know about the truth and the message of Jesus. And so here is the question for us church family today and for you individually. Who are you introducing Jesus to? Who is your Samaria and the ends of the earth? I'm combining them as one ring. You can make them two rings if you want to. Okay, who, who is your Samaria and the ends of the earth? Not like us as a church, like when are the elders and the staff gonna get together and reach the city for Jesus? No, 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 no. We don't work with your coworkers. We don't live next to your neighbors. We don't know the guy that bags your groceries or delivers your mail or picks up your trash. We don't know those people, but who does? You do. You have this opportunity to reach Samaria and the ends of the earth with the gospel of Jesus, his saving grace. Who are you introducing to Jesus right now? And I'm gonna get real right here for a minute. This is near and dear to my heart. And it's tender for me a little bit to talk about. Our church turns seven years old next month. 
Uh, and I'm so proud of what our church has, has done. And, and when we first started, we were on fire uh, for reaching people who were far from God with the message of Jesus. In fact, I can't tell you the number of times I said this phrase, that we exist to tear down the walls that have kept people away from church and God so that we can do what? Build a bridge to the thing that matters most or build a bridge to Jesus. We want to help people find God and, and whatever's kept them away from him, we want to get that out of the way so they can, they can seek him with their life. Uh, we would say all the time, we are church for what? People who don't like church. And I'm gonna tell you that resonated with our community. It resonated with people who were far from God. And what we saw in our first several years was amazing. People who were far from God, discovering his grace and being on fire for it. In our first four years, it's a lot of ways we could measure this. Uh, actually, it's difficult to measure, to be honest, but there's, there's a couple of ways we can measure. And one is through decisions to be baptized into Christ. In our first four years, 44 people gave their life to Jesus in Christian baptism. 44 people, that's huge. That's an average of uh, about one, a little bit less uh, than every five weeks. So about once every five weeks, somebody was getting baptized on average. That's exciting and it was energizing. And every time one person made the decision and encouraged everybody else to jump on and do it again, that was our first four years on fire. But then something happened. In 2017, we found out from, uh, from the county that we were no longer gonna be able to meet at Alderman Elementary School. That was, uh, I think, March of 2017. And we suddenly shifted gears. Um, we, we had to go into survival mode just to, just to keep a Sunday morning service happening. And so in that time period, I remember we spent seven weeks in a gymnasium at First Baptist Church. We were thankful for that. We ended up at the movie theater for a period of time. And in 2018, Hurricane Florence hit, flipped everything upside down and we get focused on disaster relief and all these other things. And then we move again to the YMCA in 2019. And it was, it, those things are really cool and they were blessings. But let me tell you something. In 2017, we had zero baptisms as a church. And from 2018 to the present, we've had 11. In the first 44 baptisms, the majority of them were adults who made decisions, which is fantastic. In these most recent 11, six of the 11 have been children. I do not want to downplay the beautiful decisions that those 11 people made. It's awesome. And we rejoice with the angels in heaven to know that they have made this decision to live for Jesus. And I hope that we can help them continue to grow. But I think that those metrics teach us something about where our focus went. We suddenly got focused on staying alive and having a Sunday morning service. And listen, I, 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 as a leader at our church, uh, I, I shoulder some of the blame for that. Um, some of it was just fatigue and we didn't know what to do. And I, and I get that. But uh, this isn't the time to live in like, woe was us? Because I gotta tell you, man, I am so proud of what we have accomplished as a church in seven years. It's amazing to see what we've accomplished uh, in seven years and what God is doing. But my challenge for us is this. In a month, we celebrate our seventh birthday. And what if right now we use that next month to recharge our brains and our souls and our energies, to stop making excuses and to start making plans. And that for the next seven years, we are blowing it out of the water on our focus of reaching our Samaria and our ends of the earth that we are introducing people to Jesus left and right, people living in addiction, addiction, children stuck in the foster care system, families that are falling apart because they just don't have any hope to cling to, millennials who are seeking community and they just wanna be invited. It's, it's not gonna be difficult. You just have to befriend them and invite them to what you're doing. Uh, there are people who have been hurt by the church who uh, they need to know that the healthy church still exists and we can invite them to join us in that community. 
And so at our family meeting today at the YMCA, we're also gonna be talking about that. What does it look like for us to engage the community and help to shine light in dark places? (sighs) But Chris, we're not meeting on Sunday mornings right now. How can we even begin to build these discipling relationships and reach, listen, around the world, millions of Christians are living in a situation where Christianity is illegal and it is dangerous for them to share their faith. And the church has gone underground and persecution is real and rampant. We talked about that just a few weeks ago. Yet the message of Jesus is thriving. I think it's time for us to stop making excuses and to start making plans. And so here we are, hands around our shoulders, focus on the truth of God and say, let's go out and let's do this. Let's take the message of Jesus to our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Let's seek his face. Let's seek God's community. And let's shine light into the lives of people who desperately need to know that God loves them. God has not left them. And there's a family of people in our city who care. Let's pray.